This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss unlike so many of the people who sit in front of me here who played football many of whom grew up in Scottish mining villages you grew up not just in the south of France but near in and around Saint-Tropez what was life like as a child in and around yes <laughs> yeah not, not in you, you know the other thing when you grow up in s- such an environment is uh, you don't have to worry much about uh, the future because uh, you've got the sunshine you've got a beautiful setup uh, sceneries are just amazing and all year long actually is from you know people are when they ask me the question David where you're from they said I'm saying yeah I, I was born in Central Pay and uh, oh Central Pay you mean party and things like that I said well you know it's a fisherman village basically uh, is 4,500 people living there all year long obviously we got 180,000 in the su- <laughs> in the summer but uh, the rest of the year is just brilliant. You seem like um, a very relaxed person. Is that t- entirely down to your own personality or is it growing up in that environment? I think it's just growing up in, a, you know, we've got a song in, in the South of France saying uh, the sun makes you lazy. And it's very difficult after if you want to uh, be a footballer or something in sports to really push yourself really hard to, uh, to get there. The beginning, you know, you you so focus on the things you like in life, like playing football was my main uh, main thing when I was a, a kid, and uh, and that's it. I mean, I was when I talk to my dad, even these days, he's he's telling me, you know, even when you were eight, nine, ten years old, you were different, different attitude in life uh, towards the school, different attitude towards uh, football. Uh, I was watching the other kids and you were just amongst them and, but you were different. You were different, you were acting different in your preparation. We could picture it out really properly that you were aiming and for something. Your goal in your head, in your mind were, was very clear. And it was unusual because most of the kids, they don't think about being footballers in the south of France. And I'm talking about back in, uh, in the 80s and uh, because it was probably more complicated to find a professional club. But you know what, having said that, I love living in London, but you know, going down in, in the south of France is quite, uh, in London you live, you're fast and you go there and there, you got traffic and you go boom. South of France is more relaxed. Tell me about your family. 
Family is very, uh, very simple. Simple is not probably the word to use. Um, my dad was working in the Marines. Uh, my mom was working for FT. FT is a, a France Telecom, like yeah. BT, yeah, British yeah. Telecom. Uh, working hard, got only f five weeks holidays per year, um, not big wage, uh, you know, monthly wage, it was, was, wasn't great, but my parents, all, you know, really emphasized the fact that uh, with the two kids, I've got my brother, Sebastian, is uh, four years younger than me, and we are just enjoying ourselves, didn't miss anything in our life. I was, we were well treated and well educated and and it was uh, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. unfortunately I, le I left home when I was thirteen and a half. So uh, I went to boarding school and I left my brother. So when we talk about it these days, um, we miss the the, the the very important years uh, as a teenager when you 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 build something just up with your your yeah. brother, uh, and you know when th from thirteen to eighteen, this is the crucial time for brothers uh, to get involved in other things and just, you know, kicking a ball in the, in the back of, backyard of the guard, of the house. So, so it's, sure. we both miss, miss that actually. And this is, a, this is a big miss in my life because, uh, because when you're 13 and a half, 14, 15, whatever, you don't think about that. You don't think about relationship with your brother. You say, oh, you got your life in front of you and you don't really care about that. But when you reach uh, 30, 40 years old, uh, you realize how important it is to, uh, to, to be close to your, your family. David, or David, I don't know where I'm going to settle with that. Talk to me about your early years in French football because you're not, if I might be so bold, an instant success. You, you play for Toulon, then you play for Racing uh, Matra, then you play for Brest. What do you remember about your early years of your football career? Uh, it was uh, it was a very complicated start actually uh, because I I grew up quite late around yeah uh, when I say grew up and, and I you know I was very tiny very small yeah, you, yeah. and when I was sixteen uh, I realized that my life would have would be difficult uh, if I want to carry on in football in the game uh, but I managed to. To grow up and to you know, I was taller and stronger, and you filled out, as we say in English. Yes, and uh, definitely. And in these people, they said to my dad, uh, "Listen, Mister Ginola, um, but actually, uh, because I was doing my passing my high le my level, uh, I didn't have time to 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 train properly with the team in Nice." Uh, so they haven't seen me much in training, but they knew that I was a, a very interesting and good player. But they said, oh, listen, Mr. Ginola, we not offer your son um, a contract with the academy because we don't think he's going to be a professional anyway. So my dad came out from the office and I look at him and I say, what did they say? And they say, well, let's go. Let's go in the car. We go. I say, well, where are we going? I say, we go back home. Uh, and I say they say they don't want me at the club, and uh, they say no, they don't want they don't want me at the they don't want you at the club. And uh, I was very surprised because uh, obviously I'd have to uh, to end up my uh, my my studying, and and I thought they they would give me a chance, and um, they they didn't. So I have to uh, bounce back, and I have an offer to do a, like a, a training session, a try in a club, uh, well, actually next door in Toulon. 
and in Toulon, I arrive in Toulon and uh, uh, I have four or five days uh, try with the club and straight away the, the, the guy look at me and he say, oh, this this kid is is different. So uh, he put two uh, red uh, lines in the, my name. He wanted to sign me uh, straight away, so I did sign. And uh, it was amazing for, because from that moment, I realized in my life that this is it. This is an opportunity. This is a proper opportunity to do what I always wanted to do in my life is playing football, was playing football. And uh, and I did it. I mean, I, I trained very hard. I was I was waking up in the morning with only one thing in mind is becoming a, 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 David, you have to become a professional football player. And this is it. I, I dream about it when I was nine years old. I even write an essay uh, saying I wanted to be a football player. And 10 years later, actually, I did it. And I signed when I was 19. I started to play with the first team. I was with Frank LeBeuf sharing the same room in the in the academy. Uh, it was a shame because he didn't play at the time. And uh, when they needed me in the first team, um, they went. Uh, they said, "David, you have to change your your training and you know uh, uh, habits uh, on a daily basis. So you have to move from the room." So I have to say to Frank that I got to link in the room by myself because we didn't share the same training time. So it was a bit of a shame, uh, but in the other hand, uh, I, I, I really succeed in that, and uh, I start to play. In the first season, I thought it would have been well just a couple of games, and actually play more than that. So you play for a couple of years for too long, um, and then you move to Paris, but not to PSG, to another club. Uh. Yes, uh, Mr. Lagardère is a very uh, big uh, industrial man. He's got a huge company in France and uh, across the world. Uh, decided he was involved in Formula One. He decided. Matra, to, yeah. Yes, he Matra decided. Racing team. He decided to uh, to go into football, but uh, I think it wasn't done properly. But we had some great players, probably the best squad probably ever made until today in Paris uh, with Ibrahimovic and all those players um, but it's, it was just amazing we had Francescoli and Lidbarski and all internationals and we were playing 11 against 11 and it was that both teams could play in the in the Premier League in France, so it was, it, it was, it was difficult because I was just 20. I was doing my my service for my for for the army, so I spent a year doing my, my services. So you did national service, yeah? Yeah. So I means every every morning at seven, I was on on the square with my outfit, and I have to to see the. Flag. Tell me about your haircut in the army. Oh, I did. I got the long hair, and <laughs> and uh, when I arrived at the army with my long. My lo- long hair. I remember the face of the addresser. <laughs> he looked at me and he said, "Oh, I think I'm gonna enjoy that." <laughs> you shaved all your hair off. Everything. Oh, everything. So, uh, did you like being in the army? Well, right at the time, because I have to do my. We called in France the classes. In in we had three weeks, and during the three weeks, you are you have been treated like any other boys there. Yeah. Rather than. Uh, after the three weeks because of the games and everything I was playing as a professional you are treated differently and they call the Bataillon Joinville is like a sports you got rugby players footballers athletes you got all different kind of uh, sports people and um, you got special treatment in terms of how they manage your week if you got a game on Saturday Wednesday Saturday obviously you're not coming back to uh, to the to march about to the barracks no to the barracks but i did uh, i did everything i mean i was there I, I, I remember once one story i was playing for matra 
we play a game in Strasbourg. Um, it was a midweek game. Uh, we played there. Uh, and I had a fantastic game. I scored. The game was on TV. And uh, I went back with uh, uh, um, a private plane uh, with the team to the Bourget. Le Bourget, I went back home and it was roughly two o'clock in the morning. Uh, two o'clock in the morning, I arrived there. My girlfriend, which is my wife now, she said, uh, David, I got a phone call from the, the army. They want you back right now. And I said, are you kidding? We just play a game and it was a tough one and played 90 minutes. Uh, I'm very naked. I mean, I can't go back. I said, yes, they, they, they want you back right now. So I took my car, went back. It's, uh, it was 80 or 90 miles away. So I have to travel down. I arrived there and I saw all my friends uh, wearing the, the army suits with the, the bags, the rucksack, yeah, ready, backpack, to, yeah. ready to go. And I said, what are you doing? And I saw the captain. I said, captain, and he looked at me and said, oh, David, by the way, great free kick tonight. <laughs> and I said, but listen, can you just tell me because I, well, I was at home. I've been, I've been told to come come back to the, the place. And uh, he said, David, we're going for a march for 10 kilometers in, in the woods, back and forth, in the middle of the night yeah. with the compass. <laughs> And all the, I mean, the, 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 the guns and everything. All the gear. In the dark, in the middle of the winter, it was minus five in Fontainebleau. And I'm telling you, that's a, probably something, I, obviously, I will remember all my life. Because after the 10 kilometers, it was six in the morning. I, I was against the tree in, <laughs> in my really big coat. And, and I fell asleep. And I fell asleep. I fell asleep against the tree. They, they woke me up. And I, I shake. And I... His teeth were chattering. Yeah, all morning. <laughs> it was it was ju- just like what, what I and, and they, say, they say David is good for you. It's the warm down. You're doing your warm down <laughs> of the game. David, you um, so you played uh, from Racing Matra. You said they had a great team, but they got relegated in 1990. Yeah, but that's the paradox. This is difficult to say because my first day in training, I was sitting in a dressing room. I was 20 years old. I was looking around. It was all internationals players I was watching on TV and I said, oh my God, oh, what am I doing here? And uh, I start to play and I play 36 games. I, mean, I play a lot of games during this season, in the first season, while people were thinking about other players. But Arthur Georges was also uh, involved in Paris after that. Give me a lot of credits and uh, he thought I was uh, was a really interesting player, very good. So, uh, so it was in really really good Matra was uh, an opportunity but unfortunately uh, no bonding in a dressing room no nothing much as a partnership and it was not the kind of atmosphere I, I really expected in a dressing room after they went down you moved to another club Brest and they also got relegated the following year in 1991 but that was a very different thing because you finished six but were relegated and you became the club lawyer yeah, that's very funny because the year before we've been relegated, but we played the final of the, uh, the French Cup with Matra. With Matra, yeah. Moved to Brest, arrived there, great first season, bunch of very young talents, very, very good team. And uh, we f- end up the season with uh, in sixth position. position. Uh, it was re- really good. I mean, we were playing great football, playing for fun, nothing to, nothing to worry about, actually nothing to lose. And, uh, but at the end, we've been relegated because of the financial problem in the club. And uh, we have the financial fair play in France already in place 
we e- talk even about even then yes even right, then okay. we always have this sort of thing so this is where platini has picked it up from yes yeah. this is very important in france that the clubs are many wise managed well so that's why we've been relegated so it was unfortunate and it was a bit of a shame because we felt we don't have a job and you know the people in the office uh, they didn't uh, so uh, we have to uh, to to fight back but we realized that uh, the club was for sale and they wanted to sell the club to another, uh, to an investor, but the investor didn't want to put any money. He wanted to buy the club as it was for one one franc, French franc, but he was to, he wanted to use uh, the the money coming from the selling of the players ah. to put the money in the club. I said, no, 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 no. We going to do it differently so this is when I started to be involved to get involved in in the sabotage uh, sabotage of the club and it's uh, and it was a really a nightmare because I realized at 22 years old that I was uh, involved in something that I wouldn't want first of all this was not my place you know you know what I mean but in a way I needed to do something for my fellow professional in the club so this is exactly what I did so I went to a tribunal I I defend most of the players and 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 it was like a it was just a big mess so finally we arrived at the final decision and the judge looked at me she was a woman she looked at me with a nice smile deep in my eyes she looked at me and said Mr. Ginola Thanks very much. I was 22. I was facing most of the people from the low, and and she say, "Okay, the club is not for sale. You got one year um, as a professional club left. You, most of the professional in the club, you are free to go anywhere you go." And it was like a relief from every single one of us, and from the young youngest to us. And uh, and we all left the club. Uh, we could. Um, then um, sell ourselves to the best clubs around. And uh, I got some very, uh, very interesting témoignages, letters of uh, players that they thank you very much. You save us from this really big problem, big trouble. And uh, they were went to play for Monaco, for Auxerre, for different clubs. And, and I realized at 22 that I was already uh, involved in things that I wouldn't want to. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. David, so having been a, a 22-year-old lawyer and you got yourself free of the contract that was a problem, you join... Uh, a club that I think is going to very soon dominate European football, uh, PSG in Paris. But I think it's a very different club in those days. Uh, it, it was it was a different club because it was a, st- a start of a new era in France, in in Paris actually in, for Paris Saint Germain, um, new sponsor, uh, new owner, uh, Canal Plus, uh, big broadcaster became the, the biggest broadcaster for sports in France and um, at the time so I had actually opportunities to sign in the best clubs in the country because I earned my first cap with Brest as a French player and it was the most amazing uh, news uh, I heard <laughs> back then uh, when when you play with, with the, within a small club and you realize you Receive a call from Michel Platini, and he said, "I'm gonna pick you in a team for the next game." And it was it was really interesting. So when I signed for Paris, I was already seen as a, the future of the club, a new, really good talent for 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 the French, uh, for French football. And uh, so Arthur Georges was in charge of Paris Saint Germain. The, the manager I had, uh, he was my manager uh, back in and Matt Racing. So he said, David Gidra is my priority. So I went to see Bernard Tapie with Marseille. I went to see Campora from Monaco, Alain Flelou from Bordeaux, all the best club in France back then. And, uh, and I decided to join Paris and uh, because I thought overall the, the, the all the opportunities to work on my football, uh, to think about my future, was the best place to be. And uh, and I signed for the club, and I think it was fantastic because all through the four years uh, we won absolutely everything: the French league, the two French cup, one league cup. We played three different semi-final of European cups, three different tournaments. Yeah, three different tournaments: UEFA uh, Cup Winners' Cup, Cup Winners' Cup, and Champions League. So, and uh, every year we lost against Arsenal once in semi-final. We lost against Juve the second one, and we uh, lost against uh, AC Milan in the Champions League. So, but uh, it was just amazing to play for Paris. Uh, Parc des Princes is uh, fantastic. As you say, PSG are tremendously successful, and off the back of that, and as part of that, you're also building a career in the French national team. Yeah, a French national team that as we come up to the World Cup in 94 in America, was already starting to take shape to become the world champions further down the line in 1998 back in France. And then we come to the, the latter qualifiers in, the, in 1993, the qualifiers for 1994. Two famous games. I think they are almost infamous in French football history. Um, and you're one of the central characters. Um, France needed a couple of points to qualify for the World Cup in, in America. They managed to... Did you lose the home game against Israel? Yeah, you lost 3-2 to Israel. And then came that famous game against Bulgaria. You can tell me the details, but David, France did not qualify for the World Cup and you got blamed. Well, uh, we were two games to play. Two games in Paris. Uh, one against Israel. And uh, winning against Israel, the meaning of 
this win will would have been to play a match of gala a gala game uh, against yeah. Bulgaria but uh, a lap of honor exactly and because I'm saying that because we won in Israel 4-1 and I don't want to say it would have been easy but we look at it like as uh, it, it, it was very special because we enter in this game we start to score I assist the first one I scored the, the second goal and we were up in the game and um, I was substitute and uh, we lost 3-2 so we realized everything will have been towards the final game of the the competition and the the group stage and it was uh, against Bulgaria in Paris and we have to uh, to take one point uh, at least and uh, it was this final moment at the, the end of the game um, free kick on the side took the ball crossed the ball was to be too long um, and they got the ball in, in in four passes they went all the way up to our goal and the the strike and the and the score so right at the end so it was like a like a movie like a very very uh, intense and and sad movie about uh, actually all the group stage were not really uh, nice that was complicated it was tough and uh, and we didn't. We have the, uh, such a great uh, bunch of players. Well, I should make the point. You had the, the basis of the team that went on to win the World Cup in 98, plus David Ginola, Eric Cantona, Jean-Pierre Papin, Frank Sauzé. I could go on. Yeah. We had an extraordinary good team, yes. France. Yes, very good team. When, when, when Emil Kostadinov put in that winner for Bulgaria, did you blame yourself? Uh, well, I... I I was I was I didn't play the game from the start. So I was uh, I came on uh, 20 minutes left in the game and it was frustrating because I was top scorer in France. I was best player in the country and I didn't start the game. So I was very frustrating not to be involved right from the beginning. Sure. So when you enter the game uh, we talking about the game was in November. Uh, so in November you are in full strength, uh, your power is there and you want to play every single game. And uh, I, because I, I I came on just for 20 minutes, you just want to prove every single time you've got the ball and you want to do something positive. And it was really, you want to create things and and it didn't work and it didn't work so I didn't bl- blame myself. I, I, I just blamed the entire thing and you think about it and and it was a massive disappointment for, for every single one of us. Now, look, I've survived England not qualifying for tournaments. And, of course, you know what the press is like here. It goes mad. But the reaction afterwards in France, but Gerard Houllier, the team that I was managed in this country, then the team manager. I mean, I don't know if these are good translations. But he, he said it was the most catastrophic scenario imaginable. He called you murderer. He said that you sent an Exocet missile through the heart of French football and committed a crime. I mean, it was incredible what happened to you. Or at least with Houllier. Uh, um, I think it was a killing process. What do you mean? I mean, uh, you know, when you have a a basket full of eggs, um, you have to pick the the, the one with a crack on it. And... uh, they have to take one and say, "Well, do you know?" They have to put the blame on someone, and I was and I was the, the ideal uh, 
candidate character yeah. to be blamed because I was doing things outside the game, um, like calendars and you know I got at the time it wasn't any internet so it was a, a Franciscans uh, Minitel yeah Minitel and um, I was doing a lot of things in France and I think the the I was the perfect uh, scapegoat mm. at the time and. Uh, I realized it's funny because after the game when we went back because I was playing in Paris my house was not far away from the stadium and on the way back home my wife was sitting next to me and uh, she said I I've got a very very bad impression about I think you're gonna put the blame on you because after the game we've seen some people and and she was talking to different people and uh, the next day that's exactly what happened with uh, this man saying these sort of things on me and uh, but I have to say there was there was really really complicated and difficult after that for me because we played this, this game on the Wednesday and the following Saturday I was playing uh, a league game and you know, obviously the league carry on and sure. we have to play the games with Paris and uh, we played in Toulouse and uh, this game in Toulouse I came and I was as I said top scorer in France best player in the country so I, when I arrived in Toulouse and the club of Paris relied on me a lot mm -hmm. a lot you know George we are myself up front yeah so I didn't want to go you know before the game to 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 see the the, the grass and the pitch how you're gonna put the studs on and anything so I said um, no I stay in, I stay in put I, I stay in the dressing room and Michel Denisot the chairman he came and said no David go with the lads go go outside and and say you sure you you sure you want to do that and all the players were already on the pitch so when i entered the pitch it was like a big boo and we saw and and i realized me i always enter a football pitch to to give something back to the public to the fans being treated like that as is it, it was disgusting so we we start the game but before that i look at michelle so i said you see what i told you I don't want that. I don't want to hear that. I'm not that kind of person. So we start the game after 10 minutes. Uh, the cross header, I scored my first goal. And I, fall in, I fell into tears because it was like too much to handle for, for, for me. It was too much. The entire week has been, uh, has been really complicated uh, to manage for me. And... Uh, at the time, I realized, well, it's probably time to do something else. You can stay in an environment where people are booing and whistling at you. You're not this kind of person. You you want to give something good. So it happened, and it was the case for most of the games after that. And everywhere I've been, it was whistle and booing. and It, it was terrible. But I finally managed to to score, carry on scoring goals. And at the end of this first, of this, the same season, 93-94, yeah. We won the French League. I was voted Writers Players of the Year, Players Player of the Year. And I think it was the most important recognition for me because I realized in a very, very, very bad and insecure environment, I managed to go through, to, to went through all this and I remember the face of Michel Denisot looking at me at the time and he said, David, you are greater than you think. 
not just as a player but as a man because you have been through all this and you managed to go through all this with such such great talents i mean it was you never give up you were just brilliant uh, every single game for us you respect all your teammates uh, you didn't do anything wrong and I'm really feel sorry for what happened. You played 10 more times for France but I think your career was blighted by what happened against Bulgaria. Um, France go on to win the World Cup in France in 1998. In a team that, I'll be honest, looking at the players who won it, brilliant team though it was, you should have been in that team. Talk to me about your feelings uh, running up well, to the World Cup. <laughs> but that's always easy for a player to say I should have been in that team. Sure. But when you realise that you've been voted players player of the year in 1999 and a year before you are not selected in the pre-selected in the 40 best players you know having a chance to play in the World Cup and being 22 the final 22 I think it was nothing to do with football it was just about the fact that they wanted to build a, a new era for French football with new players and uh, in the like of Zidane or players like that and uh, probably Enrique and myself who are two big names to uh uh, to be picked in the in the squad, and uh, I actually can under I can understand that I can understand that. But f from right from the beginning, because we're talking about the World Cup in 1998, mm. but don't forget that two years before it was the European Championship in England in 1996. Sure, and I was playing in England. Uh, the quarter quarter final of the European Championship was at St James Park, and they didn't even picked me up for, for, for this one too so I think it was just um, uh, the manner of the, the, or the whole thing with uh, I, I don't know what to say about it but but you know right after the, 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 the after the World Cup in 94 they selected me another few times I played some games uh, with the French national team but I could feel that it wasn't really was such a big disappointment not to go to America that uh, people they didn't they didn't really uh, care about us anymore. They wanted to do something else, and uh, and and I and I didn't feel really comfortable in, in in that environment. I mean, the most incredible thing: France wins the World Cup on its home soil in '98. Yeah. You went to the final. I was there. I was in the stadium. I was working for the BBC, and. Um, I did the final. Uh, obviously, I was right at the top of the Stade de France, and watching your fellow countrymen winning such a title, the most important competition in the game of football, it's it's just amazing. I I, I start to uh, to talk because we were on here, and I have to say, oh, okay, what you think is great for the country? Sure. Straight after that, I, I went back to my hotel and I was probably the only one with my dad and my wife and my mom crying. And I, and I was sitting on the, on the floor in my room uh, in Paris, watching TV, millions of people in the streets on the Champs-Élysées celebrating the win. And I was sitting there, I was talking to one of my friends I was crying on the phone and I say, uh, what, what, uh, what they have done to me. I mean, 
I was devastated. I, I, I couldn't endure anything, you know. And I, and literally a few yards from me, people were just celebrating and drinking, and because I understand, it's, it, it was massive for the sure. country, massive. You know, it was the second time in the entire century, century that we invaded the Champs Elysees. It was for the armistice in 1945. And the second time was in 1998 for the World Cup. My game, my game of football. And I wasn't there to celebrate with my family. So, and you know, uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not the kind of person who are really, I'm not focused on myself. Uh, I, was, I was probably uh, devastated because I, I wanted to see my, my dad, my, my son, in the shoulder of my dad, you know, I, I wanted them to be proud of me. And uh, the most important thing these days is to have my son, he's 22, looking at some image and say, David, I, uh, my uh, daddy, I, I know where I know what you've been through, and you know, love you. Uh, you should have been there. Uh, you're the greatest. Um, but somehow, it's, uh, uh, I didn't achieve uh, the final things I wanted to achieve because it's nice to to win or to to earn accolades from people like uh, players, player of the year. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's a massive reward. But I wanted to play football to earn things collectively, yeah, as a team, not as an individual. Okay, well, let's leave your international career. Thank you for that aside for a moment. Um, you have another good year. After the, uh, the famous year of 94, you have another good year with Paris Saint-Germain. And in the summer of 1995 comes a time to leave um, Paris. Because of your performances in the three semi-finals that Paris Saint-Germain have reached in successive European competitions, everyone assumed you'd be going to Barcelona or Real Madrid or one of those clubs. And you come to Newcastle. Yeah, explain yourself, Ginola. But uh, it's very simple. Uh, after the season 94-95, um, we played a quarter-final against Barcelona in the Champions League, and Johan Cruyff was the was the manager. He wanted to sign me. I was his priority again to be the player up front, uh, Barcelona. But it was no Bosman rules at the time, so it was only three foreigners per squad, per team, and uh, he had already th six players, so uh, he needed to get rid of Aji and Stoikov, and uh, until the last minute uh, was in July, eh, I received this phone call. Everything was set up. My, I already picked the house in Barcelona. Everything really? was yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything was there. We had a meeting. I played a golf tournament in Tarragona, is uh, south uh, of Barcelona, for his foundation, and it was a, 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 a the purpose of of a meeting. But he didn't want the journalists and the press to to think that because he was Ruth Gullit was there, Marco Van Basten and all his friends to play in this tournament. He said, David, we use this tournament and right after that we go back to Barcelona in my house and we're gonna talk about next season together. Johan Cruyff, my idol when I was a kid, and telling me you are my priority. It was just the biggest moment. One of the biggest. And uh, so we went back and he said, I want to sign you, but I need, need to get rid of those players. And you sign for us. And I would tell Caspar Nunez, the chairman at the time, that, you know, you are the priority. So I was there. 
And we wait until the 14th of July and receive the phone call and say, well, the players, they didn't find any club. So uh, I'm sorry, David, but I can't sign you uh, in the club. So I was without, well, I was in contract with Paris, but I didn't have Barcelona paying the transfer fee uh, for me. So I was in Barcelona with some couple of agents and they started to say, well, I think there's a club in England interested in you. It's Newcastle United. Kevin Keegan is in charge, Terry McDermott. Also, when I heard the name Kevin Keegan and I said, well, that would be interesting because it was obviously back in 1976, what games with Liverpool against Saint-Etienne, I was watching those games. This is probably when I started to realize that uh, this is exactly what I want to do in my life, playing football at the top level and uh, so I said why not so I have a conversation with Terry McDermott he said we want to sign you and, da, 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 da. and I, I went straight away but it's the funny story about that is in the middle of the night it was 1.30 in the morning in Amsterdam in a very very nice hotel I was in my room I received a phone call from David Dean from Arsenal yeah say David have you already signed for Newcastle and I said well, yes, I haven't signed yet, but I, I gave my word yes, you promised, yeah. to Keegan and Magdemont. He said, because we want to sign you, Arsenal. And I, I knew because in Paris, for two years, George Graham tried to sign me. But Paris always refused because we played the Champions League and Arsenal wanted me four months earlier in the season so we were there in July and uh, I was sitting there and I have David Dean on the phone saying well we want to sign you at Arsenal but I gave my word so I have to to stick with that and uh, and I said I'm sorry Mr. Dean but you know my word is my word and uh, we loved playing for Arsenal for you at the time and uh, I went to uh, to Georgie Land. How did you find Newcastle? How did you find England? Uh, <laughs> and I don't mean with a compass, you know, when you got here. You know, it's, it's funny because I didn't know much about, about England. We heard a lot about England and London and, you know, great, great country. And um, But to be honest, um, the North East and Newcastle, I, I didn't have a clue at the time where I was going to play with uh, uh, N4, actually. So when I arrived there, uh, it was uh, mid-July. <laughs> Good. It was pre- pretty cool, uh, and you know the the, the people they, they they've been really really nice with me. Uh, you know, in the like of Sir John Hall and a great man, Freddie Shepherd, uh, all the guys uh, involved, and uh, Freddie Fletcher. All the people they were very keen on the fact that that was, you know, I choose to play for them as a French player. It was a, a first. So not, it was not the, not the last. <laughs> not the last. Not the last. That that's for sure. Uh, but it was it was great because uh, I, I always said to myself, well, listen, this this was my choice. I decided to come and play in the in the Premier League. But a few days before, I was linked with Celtic Glasgow, and I was in the office of Fergus McCann, and the contract was on the table, and uh, uh, Tommy Burns was in charge of the team as Lesson. a manager. Yeah, and. Uh, I almost signed for Celtic, and uh, I was I was had the pen in my hands. The contract was on the table, and I look at it and I said, "I want to play in the English Premier League." So I went to I went to Newcastle. It's not far away. No, no, <laughs> from they're quite, Glasgow. They're quite close. And when I arrived in Newcastle, it was uh, it was just uh, being in the unknown territory. Territory. I didn't know anything about whatsoever. 
of the Newcastle. We'll come back to what you made of England, but let's talk about that first season, 95-96. In my mind, it's seared into my mind as one of the most amazing seasons in English football. Newcastle is an, an amaz- a tr- truly a remarkable club. They haven't won anything for half a century now, but they keep bringing 50,000 people to that stadium. And that was the year they should have been champions of England. In my oh, opinion. yeah, 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 yeah. The well, team you were in, the team you were part of, the team that you helped should have won that title. When I first uh, came in the dressing room, we were training uh, in Durham. And uh, it was a cricket gr- on the cricket ground. Uh, we were sharing the dressing room with... Uh, uh, the University of Durham and I was quite amazed because in Paris we have such a great um, facilities in terms of professional club whenever at Newcastle it was like I was sitting next to a player and I remember asking Les Ferdinand and I said Les who is sitting next to me oh, I think he's a student from the university <laughs> I said, so what do you mean we're sharing the dressing room with students say yeah well this is a public place and so I was coming back, uh, well, many years ago when I was amateur. And uh, I think I I really liked it because uh, I I like to bounce back all the time. And uh, for being in Newcastle, I knew talking to Keegan or Mark Dermott or Derek Fazekerle, all the, the staff. The people from the staff that I was in the in the, in a good place to work hard, uh, and what I soon realized, uh, you know, playing with the, the the players in training that we had quite good players. I'm thinking about Peter Beardsley, thinking thinking about Rob Lee, thinking about uh, uh, Warren Barton, and Philip Albert was there, Darren Peacock, and um, you know, up front this was Les, uh, uh, the board in Tino Asprilla. So, so I, I really realized that we had um, a bunch of players who could uh, uh, play for something. And, uh, and this is exactly what we did right from the start. All the ingredients were there. To, to make a, a great club. The fans are just amazing. I remember the first away game we played was at Sheffield Wednesday. I scored my first goal. And uh, on the way back, uh, the lad said, well, let's go have a drink in town and celebrate. And David, we're going to show you how Newcastle, what, what Newcastle is all about mm-hmm. um, for the festive as- approach. Yes. Of, and I remember going down the quayside and uh, uh, people throwing themselves <laughs> at my feet and and I remember the guys laughing because they were watching the game in the afternoon and they saw me they were singing in the street Ginola 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 and I, and I was and I was what was going on what was that and it was people just people literally threw themselves at your feet oh yes they were kissing my feet <laughs> They were kissing my feet and I said, come on, stand up, please, please, don't do that, don't do that. I, I, I was really, um, I, was, I was really shy because I, all this passion, all this, uh, you know, devotion on uh, about just you are wearing the zebra shirt and you are part of the history of our town, our club and... I'm saying that because uh, we don't have such things in France. We we got fans, we have um, supporters and everything, but not with this amount of devotion and passion around. All right, let me ask you then. Yeah. That fantastic team with Les scoring every week and yeah. yourself scoring every week and Philippe Albert and doing what he was doing at the back. You were 12 points clear at one stage. Why didn't you win the title that year, David? 
I'm uh, gonna, I, I'll put it this way. I think Newcastle lost that title. Why did they lose it? <laughs> That's the same question, then. <laughs> no, no. You could say another great team overtook uh, us. You lost that no, title. I no, know, I know exactly what you mean, but don't worry. I, I, <laughs> we're just trying to find the right words uh, to explain that. In terms of... Uh, uh, disappointments. Uh, I think at one stage we lost it because uh, we didn't have the um, the right attitude towards some of the situations uh, during games. Like um, um, I remember the game at Liverpool, uh, the four-three game we lost. We were up in the game. Uh, we scored three goals at Anfield. Uh, they were fighting against us, uh, well, with us, to, to to be the champion this season as well, with alongside Man United. And it was complicated because some of the coaching sometimes, you know, when he some sometimes in the game when he's 20 minutes, 25 minutes left in the game, you need to have, uh, you know, you, you need to. To see what what could uh, have changed the results in terms of the coaching, mm-hmm. um, the coaching must be right. And sometimes we haven't defended properly. Considering at one stage we started conceding too too many silly goals, um, and wasn't the case before. Um, and we didn't have the maturity and experience to be right there. We didn't think too much. I mean, it was just we were entering the football pitch without any fear anything and at this stage we start to to feel the the, the fear and the, the 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 pressure on us and it was uh, probably when we started to play probably differently losing losing games remember the game we lost against man united at home uh, we should have been up in the game we should have beat every single one but it was just a lack of understanding situations sometimes you play differently in different situations and uh, we haven't do that done that so it, it was probably the, the case david every year in the run into the league title they showed that piece of film of kevin keegan saying and i would love it i would love it if we beat manchester united this title and it, people always say that was a sign that Liverpool, that newcastle were coming apart did the players see that or it was that a, a red herring as we say uh I remember, I remember Kevin Keegan uh, saying those words, and he was so passionate because, you know, Newcastle meant so much for him. And I think it was a shame overall because me, as a Frenchman, I was part of that. But I would have loved it, <laughs> as he said, yeah. as he said that, for him, for the fans, for just because they think in the northeast that people are different because they speak a very uh, strange accent the the yi man the, the things like that and i i just thought about the fans and i was really disappointed for them more than for me uh, because uh, they were so down they were so they couldn't understand actually they say they say well, well what happened what happened it's impossible why why we are in this situation we should have won it it's difficult to explain really when it comes to the game itself the the, the points we lost on the way uh, to to end up seconds with three points behind uh, i mean it's a lot of points lost we didn't we didn't manage this period of time in this season 
properly. We should have been more, I would say, who use intelligent, smart. Newcastle, I mean, obviously they were very disappointed not to have won the title when they should have won in 95-96. In and then in that summer, you could have gone again to Barcelona. They came back for you. Sir Bobby Robson, I was uh, in my house in the south of France. I was relaxing after a tough season and the big disappointment of losing the title in uh, in England, obviously. Uh, and I received this um, this phone call from uh, Sir Bobby himself, uh, calling me and saying, "Oh, David, uh, David is uh, Bobby Robson uh, here. Uh, just to let you know that uh, we're gonna make a bid on." On, for you, uh, Barcelona. And I said to myself, no, well, not once again. <laughs> oh, come on. And I said, well, what can I say? He said, no, 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 I, I want to sign you at Barcelona. He wanted me at Barcelona. And uh, that was, again, another tricky summer for me. I, I was in the mood of staying at Newcastle for a second year. I was in the mood of starting all over again uh, a new campaign with the club and uh, and we we yeah, I, 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 I was again in a situation where I'm going to have a complicated summer and it was because they they actually contact the club they went from a certain amount of money to towards a large amount of money on the table and um, and Kevin King called me at one stage he said, David, uh, just to let you know that is no way. I'm telling you, no way you're going to leave the club. If I do that, I'm going to be killed by the fans. Uh, Andy Cole left the club last year. And I was almost killed by the fans. And I don't want this happen again. But I try to let him understand that uh, would have been a great achievement for me to end up my career in Barcelona. I was uh, a Latin guy and uh, it would have been fantastic to play for, for a club such as Barcelona. So um, it was no disrespect for Newcastle, but it's opportunities. Uh, so he said, well, I'm just letting you know that that's, that's a no. Well, I didn't need that. Actually, because um, uh, it's like you uh, you actually putting a, a sweet or an ice cream in front of a, a kid, and you say, you know, you see that, you you see it, yeah. you will love it to, to 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 have it, but but you know what, you can't. And this I is I should tell you, David's demonstrating all this with a coffee cup full of imaginary sweets. Yeah, and, and this is this is exactly what happened. And, and I'm saying that. It, uh, don't want to have any uh, disrespect for 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 the, the the Newcastle fans, but as a player, sure, uh, with the ambition of Barcelona of being one of the best in the, in the world, it, it was already one of the best club in the world. Uh, for a player, it's a great opportunity, especially when you reach uh, the time towards probably more the end than the beginning so sure. it's a, it was it was a shame they put a lot of money on the table and uh, they, uh, nothing happened so I have to start again and Keegan left four months later uh, there's the issue <laughs> that's a big Ke issue Kevin, for me Kevin having said no you are not going to have that you're going to stick with me you're going to stay Kevin the way Kevin does bless him leaves the club what did you feel about that David? I feel I feel at the time I <sighs> I, I didn't understand because uh, uh, just before Christmas when I heard the, the rumor about him leaving the club, 
you know, so and so. I, I was, I was sitting there. No, you know, he, he asked me to stay there. No, he didn't ask me. He told me to stay, uh, and I'm going to stay and stick with him. And I say, okay, fair enough. You know, I put my mind right, uh, and I started the season uh, same way I started the the, the previous one, and uh, he left, and uh, and uh, it was like. Uh, being stabbed in the back if he's not too strong to say that but it was like uh, and Kenny Dalglish arrived and uh, it was the, the start of a nightmare for me so instead of playing for Barcelona and probably have a, a look at the future in a brighter way uh, I was there starting a season with Keegan living at Christmas having a new manager have nothing wrong with Kenny Dalglish, he arrived, he wanted to get rid of most of the players uh, from Keegan and uh, I wasn't in, in his plan, I can understand that, but you know, the, the, the final bits of the season uh, was really hard for me, so, <laughs> oh dear, 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 Danny, you make me talk about things really, really makes me... I think it would have probably be different, but on the other hand, I'm thinking, well, if I had leave uh, the country to play for Barcelona, I would have not played for, for Spurs. Uh, and it was a great, uh, great time for well, me well, playing let, for let's Spurs. Let's finish with Newcastle. And uh, I'm not trying to make you... All, all lives are made up of things that are easy to talk about and things that we'd rather perhaps put to the back of our minds, David. That's just the way it is, isn't it? You say it was a nightmare on the Dalgleish, but, but only only because but you're professional, you know that sometimes a manager comes and they just don't want, they, they want different kinds of players. That's why, uh, that's why I'm, I'm saying that I, I could understand. Yeah. I could understand that. I didn't play, I was on the bench and I said, well, what am I doing here? I mean, it, it was it, it was a nightmare, you know. Well, when you're playing and you're enjoying your training days and uh, the games, uh, it wasn't the case anymore. Kenny Dalglish, when he arrived, he, he he had his mind on the future of the club and working closely with Alan Shearer and um, players like that. But I wasn't in the plan, so I was on the bench or not playing, and and it was and it was really hard because. Because at the time I start to think, well, it's probably time for me to go, and you know it wasn't in the plan uh, in first place. So it's uh, it was it was a shame. It was a, it was difficult. But when I think about my career, um, certain points uh, really annoy me a lot. And not getting to go to Barcelona is one of those. Yes, because we have been linked twice, and uh, I don't know. I I, I can't I can't really. Imagine uh, what it, it would have been uh, me playing at Barcelona, but I would have probably, if with great seasons with Barcelona, have a chance to go back in the French team, playing the World Cup in '98, mm. would have changed because we didn't. I didn't play in the biggest team, biggest team in the country with Manchester United, where the teams like that, mm. and I wasn't playing there. I was playing in good teams. Newcastle were good teams, um, wanted to be one of the best, and they were one of the best, but not the best. Coming from uh, really out of the blue. Uh, and, and, and after that, Spurs was the same. We know you loved Newcastle and you loved your time there. And the next thing that happened to you is you end up at Spurs. Tell us how that came about. It's funny because uh, Jer uh, Jerry Francis, uh, in charge of Spurs uh, as manager, when my situation at Newcastle wasn't you know, bright anymore, uh, 
I wanted to move and uh, this approach of uh, uh, Alan Sugar and uh, Jerry Francis and they say, okay, uh, but I heard things about, uh, oh, David Ginola signing for Spurs would be a luxury and luxury yeah, so, well, what does he mean and so uh, yeah, the explanation about what means being a luxury and um, I end up at Spurs uh, remember being on the boat of Alan Sugar in the Bay of Villefranche um, telling me about uh, the future what he wants to achieve at Spurs and uh, and I end up in Chigwell at the training ground and uh, and working for Spurs and getting to know uh, the history of the club and uh, the past and uh, the past players and uh, you know the, the good things about it is uh, when I'm at home and I'm looking at the box holders uh, players player of the year all those great names from Teddy Sheringham uh, Gary Mabbott and Chris Wardle Glenn Odo Gary Lineker Paul Gascoigne and Jorgen Klinsmann and Saul Campbell, Darren Anderton, and I see my name three times in a row. It's the first time in the history of the club. Well, probably Gareth Bale, but I don't know. He's got three times. Probably only two, I think. Uh, only given, two. Given so the two when you see had, yeah. the three lines, uh, Modric would have won uh, the, first, the, the middle one. Yeah. So yeah. so the 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 three lines with my name on it, surrounding by all those big names, uh, makes me proud. Uh, made me proud of the achievement of playing in the club that suited me a lot. I said to you off air, and I'll say it again, if a committee of Spurs fans had sat down and designed a player for Spurs, it would be you. And you're right to say you're the only player there who's been a Spurs um, player of the year, three years running in recent times. And there you are. Um, it's a funny old time at Spurs, though, and we'll come on to the successful times in a minute. Um, Jerry Francis came and went. Then Christian Gross, a very short reign came. And I think the, there was the, the waving of the tube tickets around, but that was just for the public and the journalists. The players then went off on a pre-season tour to Switzerland, um, where I've, people say he showed you a Toblerone about going up the side of it, but you were training in the mountains in Switzerland. <laughs> With Christian. Before telling this story, I want to, to say that uh, uh, during my time at Spurs, I had Jerry Francis. I had David played for a short mm -hmm. period of time. Then we had Christian Gross. Then we had Chris Hutton for a very short period of time before George Grimer. We got five different managers in three years. So when I talk about being a great club, great clubs need stability. And that wasn't by any means, stability in and the club. And they still don't do it, do they? <laughs> anyway, so, uh, uh, well, that's a, that's a funny story because uh, we went to a training camp because he's a, a Swiss-German. Uh, yes. So uh, uh, we went to this uh, training camp in St. Moritz, a uh, skiing resort. Very nice. Mm. Very nice, actually. Mm -hmm. Very nice place. One morning he said, uh, okay, guys, we're going to take a mountain bike and we're going to go through uh, up in the mountains and, uh, and we start from the lake down in Samaritz, going all the way up to the, 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 the peak over there. And you see the, the snow on the mountains, and it's roughly around there. So you have two hours. Two hours? <laughs> yeah, we, well, actually, we spent two hours because we, it's all uphill. <laughs> and not on a road. No, no, no! It was rocks and across a river, and, uh, and and it was and it was really interesting because we have plenty of time for you know to 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 climb the mountains and with the mountain bikes. So, but he said he said you know what, you're gonna have tough times doing that, but 
uh, at the end, you're going to be rewarded for that because you're going to have a great and a very interesting surprise. Uh-huh. So all the way up, we were asking ourselves what the, sur- the surprise will be. And uh, finally, we, uh, we finally uh, succeed and, and reach the, the peak of, uh, of our very intense climbing and riding. And uh, we arrive in this farm with cows, uh, you know, uh, on the grass. And uh, it was surrounded by the beautiful scenery of mountains with the snow and waterfalls. And, and it was beautiful. Uh, and in this farm, actually, we just pass uh, on the side of the, of the farm. Uh, on the other side, facing the most beautiful places, the most beautiful view ever. Well one of the best mm-hmm. we got this 20 feet table buffet with full of dessert <laughs> like all the different tarts uh, raspberry tarts strawberry tarts beautiful uh, creme caramel uh, mousse of chocolate mousse uh, fruit salad all can you image it picture just picture in your mind a 20 feet table full of desserts wonderful but the funny thing is we decided with guys we saw a waterfall on the top of the mountains actually 50 minutes away so we decided to climb the mountains and um, the funny thing is that when we arrived there it was a beautiful waterfall with a little pond we decided to get naked and to go under the waterfall but the waterfall from the was from the ice mm-hmm. the waterfall from the ice very very cold yeah. so we went naked under the waterfall but what we didn't know back in the farm down there there was some couples uh you know you know eating dessert there yeah. and you got these binoculars <laughs> and they were actually they watched us having this shower under the waterfall so when we came down <laughs> we saw this smile on the face of people and we asked ourselves why they are smiling and they say Please, well, why are you so, say, because we have been watching you having the shower under Dave, the waterfall. Dave, I can't imagine anybody would want to see your naked form under a waterfall, if I'm honest. No, but that was funny because they said, <laughs> I, I saw this grandma there <laughs> telling me, oh, it was very interesting. <laughs> I mean, you played brilliantly for Spurs. Uh, not, I mean, you might tell me not all the time, but a lot of the time. For instance, um, everyone remembers an FA Cup quarterfinal against Barnsley. I mean, I'm going to ask you this question. You were in a better team at Newcastle, a team that was challenging for the title. You seem to be enjoying yourself a lot at Spurs. I don't know why. I, uh, to be honest, I don't know why. Sometimes you feel good in a place and you can't really explain. It's probably because I have such a great feeling with the fans. Um, you know, sometimes you say, I, 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 even now when I go back to the lane, I'm saying, well, that's my garden. I look around and I say, I feel at home. And I can't say that in every stadium. I had such a great time because my football was probably at this peak. And I realized that I was able to do some stuff on the football pitch. I only did when I, while I was at Spurs. And uh, that was probably why, 
you know, the people at Spurs, from the, the guy on the car park, uh, the secretary at Chigwell, I, I was very close to everyone, as I am as a person, you know, because when you're part of the club, you just know the players from one side and, you know, other people on the other. I, I want everyone together. This is what I will do as a manager. Everyone is important in a club. And the most important thing in a club is the fan. Very briefly, because you say it's your garden, um, Daniel Levy keeps talking about building a big new stadium next door to it. I don't, I uh, see... That would not be my garden anymore. I know, I see a lot of bricks. Will you, would you, will you be sorry if they knock down the no, White Hart Lane? No, no, you don't have to be sorry. I think it's the... I think the aiming and their goal is to uh, to be one of the greatest clubs in the country, uh, uh, in Europe as well. So I think they, they have a very, uh, uh, very important, uh, massive uh, uh, towards the future. They, they, they want to build and create something uh, at Spurs. And unfortunately, White Hartland is not in the plan and they want a bigger things and bigger player, better player, bigger stadium, bigger everything. They got bigger infrastructure and, and, and facilities in uh, the training, the new training ground. Apparently, it's fantastic, never been. I have, it's, it's now extraordinary. They've got a bigger training ground than they have of actual football ground. So yeah, well, to change. you see, uh, here we go. It's, 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 but I think you have to live with your time. Um, we're talking about a time where uh, Spurs were not a fantastic team. Uh, we didn't uh, challenge anything. I think uh, you're talking about the Barnsley game. And you know the, the thing people don't really see in this particular moment in time is when you score a goal like that, and this is something you don't know, the players, when they come to cheer things with you, you know the, the, the first thing they say? Thank you, David. Is that right? Yeah. I remember Justin Edinburgh, I remember Saul Campbell, I remember John Scales, Ramon Vega coming and look at me and say, thank you, David. Thank you. And you know what? I think it's the, probably the best reward you can get as a player when your teammate coming to say thank you. You got further rewards in 1999. You win a trophy with Spurs at Wembley in the League Cup. You are the double footballer of the year. Let's take those in order. The League Cup final at last, a medal in English football. Uh, yes. Uh, I was talking about individual awards and, mm -hmm. and team awards, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, this is the kind of things. Playing at Wembley was fantastic. With George Graham, of course, by this time. Yeah. George Graham, Tottenham Hotspurs, playing against Leicester in the final. Uh, all the preparation of... I think it was great because uh, uh, we end up on the high... And as a club, and I think it was important. And this win meant a lot for all of us, including the fans, including every single one at the club. Because even if we knew we didn't have a team to challenge anything, we end up with something. We end up with something to ch to be proud of. And we won this League Cup. Obviously, uh, I was player, player of the year, and writers, player of the year, and I end up on the transfer list. And... I think, you know, I was talking to George Graham the other morning with Alan Brazil on the phone. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have any, I don't know to say, how to say it in English, but I don't, I don't have any uh, rancune. Uh, rancor I, or animosity. Or animosity yeah. towards anyone because I think uh, life has given me so much since I'm... Uh, since a young boy, you know, I, I always think about this young boy of nine years old watching the game on the on the on the couch at home with with his dad and watching the games and say, Dad, you know what? Uh, this is what I want to do. By the way, 
And my dad looking at me and I say, what do you mean? I, I want to be a footballer. This is what I want to do. I say, yeah, okay, but you go at school, work on your, your homework, do your homework and things. But dad, you don't understand. This is exactly what I, I want to do in my life. So now I retired 10 years ago. Um, football somehow is behind me as a player. Mm -hmm. I would love to be a manager. I'm going to tell you why I would love to be a manager because it is probably the only way you can um, be as close as you were as a player uh, and to, to the game. You, the approach of the game, are you going to change that? And I would love to find a chairman out there, to be honest, who give me the key of the club and say, David, I know exactly what you think and your thought on football. I love that. I want you to be a success with me. I leave you the key for five years. Make the best of what I've given you. And this is, I will do more than my best to bring the most amazing attitude towards the game and towards the fans, towards anything has to do with football. I will make sure that every single player we really understand where they are and what they have to achieve with us. Every single bits and pieces I would love to see in football. And I think the only way to do so is to be a manager. David, we still have more of your career to go. Um, spells at Aston Villa and Everton, but you never wanted to leave Spurs, did you? Never. I wanted to end up my career at Spurs. But unfortunately, one, uh, one day... Uh, I received this uh, weird phone call from uh, Sir Alan Sugar. I was in Spain on his boat and uh, he called me and he said, David, I got some bad news. Uh, George Graham wants you out. He wants to you to leave the club. He wants you he wants to put you on the transfer list. And so I end up on the transfer list and I end up in a situation where I had to uh, think about uh, leaving the club. So, um, unfortunately, I have to say that because some of the th the, the Spurs fans didn't really know about what happened. Uh, I, I never asked for anything. Uh, I was just uh, uh, doing some... Uh, on holiday in Mauritius, I met Doug Ellis. And uh, he said, David, we would love you at the club. And, uh, and we started like that. Uh, we finished the conversation on that. And uh, on my way back... Uh, I had to make a decision while staying at Spurs because I was under contract with Spurs saying to George Graham, no, I'm not going to. But I didn't want to fight. I didn't want to want to fight with him. I didn't want to end up in a situation because I knew that this man could be really tough, could be really tough on me. And I didn't want that towards the end of my career. So I'd rather go to a place where the people, you know, um, really embraced me and wanted me at the club while staying in the club why someone doesn't want you anymore so if to stay on the bench and and I thought also about me David Ginola sorry I don't like to, to talk about mm -hmm. to use this bit David Ginola on the bench at White Hart Lane while he's putting uh, a Terrington or anyone uh, on a thing I, I was thinking about the fans uh, booing and whistling George Graham because I was stuck on the bench I think it would have been a, a weird situation I didn't want that for Spurs and for the fans I just wanted to move on and, and think about other things so that's why I moved to Villa 
complicated with John Gregory. John Gregory was terrible with me. I mean, it was really complicated. And uh, I started to realize, oh, I was well at Spurs. It was a great club for me. And while I didn't stay there and... Uh, and, and it was difficult. It's no disrespect for the villains and the fans yeah, sure. at, at Villa, but John Gregory wasn't the right person for the club. And I ended up at Everton and I started to realize that uh, it was probably it. It was the end of my career. It was just to think about uh, it's probably time to, uh, to, to stop and uh, to think about something else. Go back to the south of France, staying sometimes with my mom. And I think I did it right because my mom passed away a, a few months later. And... Uh, uh, my kids and myself, uh, we took time to uh, to spend time with her. It's uh, uh, it was uh, really uh, an emotional time because um, uh, this is what life is all about. You need to spend time with the people you love, and uh, and sometimes you think that uh, life will be forever and people will live forever, and you have plenty of time to spend with them with them and so it's actually not true and uh, because I'm very sensitive as well uh, I start to realize that I was uh, I was good to, to stay sometimes with uh, with the, the the person you love the most in life well I'm glad uh, you told me that because I was going to ask you a question where, about did you feel the last couple of years of your career slipped away after you'd been football of the year in it was a nightmare Danny it was a nightmare it was a nightmare being left on the bench, uh, waking up on a Saturday, going to a game, seeing the back page of the Sun with David Ginola, Mr. Blobby, and you got your your face on the body of Jimmy Five Billies, and saying you're overweight and you're fat and you you're all this and that, and you work so hard to stay fit at 35 years old. It was terrible and it, it, it was just amazing. I will never, never treat as a manager of players. You have to to get the respect back. You need to respect people. It's not only on the, in the football club. It's in life in general. You know, I can walk in any places in England right now. I can go. I was at, at the Emirates yesterday night. I was, I was at, in any clubs. People are not saying any bad words towards me. There's only great things and I'm probably one of the kind that I can walk around any any stadiums in, in this country without any fear of encountering uh, um, you know naughty stuff and it, it, it's, it's just amazing because as a man you you I don't know I always wanted to get this respect back so if you do respect people they will give the respect back to you and, and it's, it, it should work like that so with John Gregory I had these funny moments I worked a little bit with David Moyes at Everton as well so it was um, it, it was it was complicated because your mind is not there anymore and I, I was thinking about Spurs and, and I Honestly, you know, I was talking to George Graham on the phone the other day and in my head I said, uh, uh, when he arrived at the club, I had pro probably my best year in football and the, under George Graham. The players thought you were the best player in and the country. He was also the one who pushed me to, uh, to the door, through the door. And that's... Uh, ugh. 
difficult to explain because you say, I'm going to work very hard to prove him wrong. You've been a, a great player for him. You've been a great man in a dressing room for him. You've been a great person towards him as well when he was ill and he was in the hospital. And it was me calling him in the hospital saying, uh, Mr. Graham, we're going to win the game for you and uh, uh, you can count on me. And, and, and a few months later, pushing me through the door and putting me on the on the transfer list uh, is a lack of respect so sometimes you you realize in life that's what, what is all about what when it comes to respect what is all about life football is brutal it is just a very brutal sport but i, I guess I, what i was going to say was and i don't want to be too sentimental here um in some ways the way your career ended it gave you the time to be with your mum so maybe there was there was something working in your favor there david yeah but um, uh, but, but somehow i, I mean uh, you know after a few years i realized that I, I could have played more because i didn't get any bad injuries no. uh, i was able to to carry on but mentally i had some very tough people around me who uh, push me through the door and thinking about uh, well I can't stay there anymore I will I love working with people like Sir Alex Ferguson or, or people who really give a lot of credit and respect towards the players and know, uh, take time to understand the players to know if I will be a manager one day you know I don't want to have all the shit I had in my in the past I will be the most amazing manager listen to me it's no words i will prove it i will be the most amazing manager towards my chairman towards the board towards my players towards the fans towards everyone in the single club we make sure that everyone will be you know everybody will be only one since you retired you've done uh, acting and modeling everyone makes a laugh about your hair, hair adverts and all the rest of it uh, particularly those of us with less hair than you um and you work on bt being a, a pundit and i know in your, back in france of course um in your native language you're a fantastically well-regarded uh, pundit where are you in your life now what do you hope for in the future i mean clearly you want to get back into football as a manager you've, you've said so but uh, very simple, Danny. When I retired from the game in 2002, I was so uh, down uh, with the people I met in the last few years of my career that I started to think, well, just get away from everything. So I had a break and I'd done nothing at all for seven years. So until I decided uh, with the entire family to come back in 2009 and um, to England, live in London and uh, doing some work. Pass my badges. I'm in the process of that. Working for Talksport with Alain Brazil every Wednesday morning. Bless you. Uh, Grand Best, uh, give me, the, um, uh, give me the, the opportunity to work for BT Sport, the new channel. And I think I, I feel really good at BT Sport. And, you know, it's a very good way to work. The approach of football is great. And uh, I've got some opportunities and look Looking at the future, doing something different, working for Canal Plus as well in France, and uh, still have a lot of ideas, a lot of things I want to do, I want to achieve. But most of all, um, if I can, if I can get back in the game, uh, as I said, with someone someone because you can't as a manager work without a chairman giving you the key of the club and this is the most um, it's about uh, confiance it's about trust it's about faith you need to to feel this this is a kind of feeling you don't sometimes you feel things sometimes you meet someone and you say well mm, i think i'm 
quite worried about this one, but you, you get, it's, it's a mixed feeling. And I need to have this sort of working partnership where you can find this. And I need that in my life on a daily basis. I have this uh, with BT Sports, with Grand Best. I have this here with the people I'm working with at Talk Sport. I have this at Canal Plus, and this is my kind of way of doing my best when I know that I'm working with people that love me. You've been listening to an archive edition of Talk Sports My Sporting Life with Danny Kelly. Thanks for listening and make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Acast and Spotify for more top Talk Sport content. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.